I was at uh, I was at Coffee Central yesterday, and yeah. and Lauren said, uh, "Hey, my dad was listening to last week's episode and thought that uh, you said something inappropriate. Apparently, I said last week I said that something was a helpful conversation, but I was mumbling, and they thought that I said something unbecoming of a minister of the what gospel. Think you said a heck of a conversation, but not heck." Oh. I said that something was a helpful conversation. So I'm sorry, everyone who thinks that I uh, am a mumbler. Are you going to address that right now? Is that we're doing? Can All we right. can we addendum this to the episode, Charles? <laughs> Put it at the end, or just confession time at the beginning. Welcome to Products of Grace, a podcast by Mercy Hill Church. My name is Lawson Harlow, and with me today I have Blake McCullough. <laughs> So, Blake, what are we doing today? So today. So today. You notice that Don, he it's like he interrupts himself, but he does it on purpose every week. He says, so today, the title of today's episode is, what are we doing today? Oh, yeah. Uh, today, we're answering your questions. We are. We like to think of ourselves as men of the people. <laughs> uh, me and Lawson specifically. We really want you to get out of this what you want to get out of it. So we're answering your questions today mm. on the pod, on the program. Uh, Lawson actually wrote them out. She's a good podcast host. He That's did the show mean. notes for today's episode. Um, but before that, I just wanted to give uh, an update on the zoo. Oh, yeah? The zoo's good. It's uh, Have you done a splash pad yet? That's where we went today. Oh, so was it good? The splash pad kind of ruins the zoo because it's like you go to the zoo and everyone's at the splash pad and it's like the animals are like, hey, man, we are here because people wanted to come see us and no one is coming to see us because <laughs> it's like hundreds of people uh, at the splash pad like knocking kids outside, over yeah. uh, like throwing kids off the slides and stuff and then there's just like no one looking at the animals so sorry animals what's the longest you've ever sat and looked at one exhibit you know I think about this a lot actually because really yeah because I feel like no, like I'm not mad at my parents for this or anything, but I feel like we, we always were like moving right along when we went to the zoo. It's like, okay, look at this now. Come on. And I really caught myself being t like saying Isaiah, like, all right, let's go look at the next thing. And he's like, no, I just want to look at this. Mm. And I just, I'm like, why am I in such a hurry? It was like an existential moment. Plus you go, you know, three times a week. Right. So it's like, we've seen it all. We don't have to see the whole thing every time we go. Um, and uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll sit and look at the gorillas for a hot minute. Well, they're, they're always active. Like they're always 10 doing to 20 something. minutes. Yeah, they're always doing. That's a long time. I know. And it's like Isaiah can't do anything for that long, but he <clears throat> will watch a gorilla. He'll just sit there and watch them? Move for that <clears throat> long. Or the, the bonobos or whatever they're called. Yeah, I can't watch them. Our Zoom membership is basically like a really expensive membership to a playground that you could get for free anywhere else across Could you the just city. go step to the playground? Or like wade in the, the fountain. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah. I've watched some really ugly moments at that playground. Yeah, well, I was with, with you for one. Oh, that guy that who snatched, guy up, got his, snatched up his daughter because she was running away. Uh, he was... That was like a disobedience is deadly moment. Oh, yeah, for sure it was. <laughs> yeah, you can always tell the difference between uh, disciplining parents between scared and mad. Right. <laughs> he was scared. A, a, he was a disciplining scared. parent that's scared 
is an ugly thing. You don't ever run away from your daddy. <laughs> That's exactly. It was so scary. It like made me feel like, uncomfortable. I was so uncomfortable. I was like, I'm sorry, daddy. It was so cringe. Um, so the zoo is good. I I uh, the last time we went, I think was the time that I saw you actually. Wow. Yeah. So we don't. We're our membership ran out. Ouch. It's too hot. We'll get a new membership like in November. That's normally how it goes. <laughs> um, but. The last time we went, because Rowan was playing on the playground, I sat and watched the lions, yeah. and I watched them for a minute. And we'll get to roaring sometimes. I know. So I was sitting there, and I watched. Uh, there was a was it a duck or something like that in the exhibit? Oh, and uh, but it was in the water. Yeah, and so one of the lionesses was like stalking. Yeah, wanted wanted the duck mm-hmm. right, and the duck is just like cruising no clue the danger that it's in i actually took a picture and tweeted it i think i remember that. yeah okay sorry i was trying to i was, I was visualizing I, was like, I think i took a picture of this because the duck was just like what's we're good because it has no clue that a lion will eat it yeah because it's seen three lions in its whole life they just posted caged. a video of a tiger doing that like pounce, trying to pounce on a duck at the zoo the memphis zoo where are you seeing this video on instagram oh uh no, my best lion uh, situation was when I was in full-time student ministry. I took a group of children from our church uh, to the zoo in Memphis, and the lions were procreating in their pen. And they were all like, uh, Mr. Blake, what are they doing? And I was like, I really don't know. I think we should leave. We should leave. <laughs> Is that a true story? Uh, yes, bro. <laughs> And there's like the older, like the teenagers who were like chaperoning with me. I just like make an eye contact, that harsh eye contact where I'm like, don't say it. Don't say a word. Let's go. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I do have, I do have two questions or three questions. Do we, do we humor, uh, Hank's, uh, question? Which one? The one about... Um, <laughs> I hate that question. I do too. I don't you mean want, Hank's dad. Yeah, I don't Hank's even owner. really... I don't really even want to... I think it's a fun question. We've all answered it for him. He just wants everyone to know the answers that we've given him. Can we make it really short? Yeah. So the question is, is defecation a product of the fall? The answer yeah. is no. Really? Yeah. So do you think we'll defecate in the new heavens and new earth? I don't know. I don't that's think not, so. But that's not, a, that's not a parallel though. Um... No, I don't think it's a product of the fall. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, just I, like think, I think the necessity for toilet paper is a product of the fall. We're not doing this. I'm sorry. We're not doing this. <laughs> We're not doing this. You can cut that if you want, Charles. <laughs> so, all right. Now, uh, last movie watched. Does it mean, like, at the theater? I don't think it's said in a theater. Because I haven't been to the theater in, like, five years. The last time I went to the theater was at the Nelco in Greenville, Mississippi. Wow. And it was to see one of the, the Star Warses. Beth and mine's first accidental date. At the Nelco? Was at the Nelco. We invited a ton of different people. It was Valentine's Day. Hmm. And all the single people, right? And so we were like, let's all go to Don't the movies. Don't forget about the singles. Yeah, let's, go, let's all go to the movies. And so nobody shows up but Beth. <laughs> that was, you did that on No, purpose. I promise I didn't. I texted a oh. ton of people. I guess so we have was, to share some popcorn. Yeah, now. it was just Providence. We rode together. Do you want I got to share pulled a drink over too? on the way back. Wow. Got pulled over on the way back. That was a good time. The police officer was like, Where are you going so late? I was like, We're coming back from a movie. 
Going back to going back to Cleveland. And I mean, I wasn't even speeding. We're not even together, man. Yeah, don't worry. No, I, was, I was like, I, I wasn't even speeding. I was in my, I was in a Jeep at the time. It's like you don't, you don't speed in a Jeep. Yeah. And so I was over. just like, I'm not, like, bro. I'm. He didn't even give me a ticket. He just pulled me over. Oh. It was weird. Anyway. Um. So last movie. movie I saw was. I don't even know. Like, I got. I don't. It wasn't that memorable. I guess. I am taking Sarah to the movies tonight, possibly, on a date. Okay. Uh, she wants to see that crawfish movie. Where the crawdads sing. Yes. Beth watched that on Monday. Um, my last movie was that I watched in theaters was The New Thor. So you're a firm gay marriage. Stop. But it was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Wow. Like, sincerely one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And um, it was it was like, so the, sorry, spoilers. The, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. Tell, it's like, it's, it was the dumbest thing. It's like, hey, one of the main characters has cancer. Let's laugh the entire movie. Really? It's like, right? Yeah. It's like here's this really heavy situation, and let's just laugh the entire movie, and then let's pretend like it's a serious thing when she dies. Sorry, huge spoiler. Wow. And it's like I don't, I don't understand. I've watched this movie in like ten years. And then yeah, it's like the the progress of like Marvel. Like you could go back and watch Iron Man, and it's like, I mean, it's pretty clean there's not much if anything in it i mean they're really all the way up to like uh multiverse of madness which was the newest doctor strange Uh, i didn't see that either you were you were pretty good to take i mean if if a kid went to see it it would be fine like but now it's like mm -mm, yeah mm -mm. and there's a scene where they're in like this pantheon of gods and it just reeks of idolatry and i hated every second of it sorry to hear that yeah it's all right um so second Proudest accomplishment. Uh, I want to say uh, hanging curtains in my house without oh. throwing a temper tantrum. <laughs> As Sarah calls in and is like, that's not real. He's it never happened done that. Once. It has happened once. Yeah. And that's the only time. Uh, honestly, I. I really don't know. I mean, it feels weird to say your marriage is an accomplishment, but like, that's fair. That's probably the proudest day of my life. The proudest day of your life when you felt like when you got married. Yeah. Oh, oh, got you. Sorry, I thought you were saying like I have a good marriage and that's the proudest accomplishment <laughs> like today, of my life. Today, <laughs> today, I live in this state of accomplishment. Um, Pretty much the best there is. Yeah. Right. Um, I have a really obscure accomplishment. <laughs> And nobody cares about it but me. Is and it I, about video games? No, it's not. No, it's not. I don't consider that accomplishment. Okay. Um, so when I was in high school, mm-hmm. there was an award that one person got a year. Um, and only a senior could get it. Yeah, I remember those. I never got them. Yeah, so I, so in the, so I remember actually looking over at the row. Of, it was in the academic banquet, right? And I looked down the row at a couple of my friends and I was like, time for the awards none of us will get. Yeah. Like I, I say these words to them. And about this time, they're, um, they're telling a story about who won it. And I'm like, I think that's me. <laughs> and so it was, the, it was the Tommy Wolf Leadership Award. Shout out, Tommy. And uh, it, was, it, was the, it was an award given to, and all the coaches voted on it, mm. which was an mm. interesting thing because I was a tennis player 
so nobody knew me. Right. But the whole thing was... You're not garnering big crowds for the tennis matches. Right, yeah, yeah. There's like six people there, and, and half of them are my family. Right. Um, <laughs> and so it was just one of those... That That's an obscure award that I am... Your proudest accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some would say that I should accomplish more. Um, but anyway, I don't know. I've always I've always enjoyed that that was a that that was a reality for me. That's fair. Yeah. Time for the serious. Let's dive off into it. All right, I've got them. I've got them laid out one to eight. There's only eight. I have eight because I skipped some because I didn't want to answer them. That's totally fair. And there was one that I needed context on. And I don't think I ever got context Which on one it. What was that? There was one that was like a quote of David Platt. And I, I didn't understand it. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't understand it and I needed citation. So if you're going to post something like that, I, I don't want to address any sentence anyway. Jack could have had his own episode. We could have said, we could have had a Jack question. I've episode. actually had this conversation and, and a while back he showed up at my door and said, I've got like 30 questions. And I was like, Jack, we could just record this and call it a day. Um, so first question, this is actually a question that's not on there, but it was a question that I was asked via messenger a couple of weeks ago. Um, opinions on Bible translations. I think they're good. God, like, <laughs> if you don't know Greek or Hebrew, they are or Aramaic, like they're really helpful. <laughs> I, that joke was my proudest accomplishment. That <laughs> joke was your proudest accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you have, you mean you have a preferred translation? Yeah, I mean the elect standard version is the version, in my opinion, that is that balances readability and closeness Fair. to the original languages. I think the NASB cares more about closeness than it does about readability, and I think the the Baptist Bible is also a good Bible. The, is it the, the CSB? CSB, Christian Standard Or Bible. Holman, if you're... You Depending know, on when you grabbed it. Stuck in the 90s, or yeah. I don't know when it came out. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a good Bible, too. Like, I think it has a lot of good, uh, helpful language that's easy to read, but also true to the intent of the authors. Yeah. The only, like... Honestly, I don't have a lot of, I'm, I'm not ever going to like scoff seriously at any true uh, translation of the Bible. So the message isn't an option. No, because it's not a translation. Fair. It's like a translation of the NIV into like millennial Someone, or something. Someone's thinking. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so like I'm, I think when you think about like sermon preparation, it's so like we care about being close to the text, but like. We're not preparing from the ESV. We're preparing from the original. True. And so I'm not necessarily concerned about being close, like being as close for just any everyday reading if readability is an issue for you. Like, same thing with like, like if it's your kid. Yeah. The ESV could be hard to understand. It's got some big words in it. And while I think that it is a good translation, it might, you know, they might need the NIV or the NLT or whatever. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fair. I the the I have one other thought after no, you out about it. You go ahead. The only other thing I would say is match the translation that your pastors use. I think that's perfectly fair. I mean I'm not I'm not saying like you need to go change today. No. Yeah. But like if you're like, hey, I want to get a new Bible, I'm open to new translations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Use the one that's used at your church most regularly because 
it's way less distracting to try to make up for like the words that are different and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with that. The the deep track of it, and this is kind of where, uh, if if you want to if you if you want to go maybe a, a above and beyond when you're thinking through translations, is what text are they coming from? And so, like, there's two True. there's two theories or two different thoughts surrounding interpretation. There's a Byzantine text or the Textus Receptus, which is like this is the word of God delivered. That there's a there's there's an argument for Textus Receptus only, mm-hmm. where this is the preserved word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, I get the argument. I, I'm I'm not persuaded on it. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is the majority text, which is where so like the King James is the Textus Receptus. Uh, which is why I think sometimes you, you'll get some King James onlyism that's attached to that. But I, I but yeah, but that's I, I respect that. I respect sixteen eleven was the best year in history. Goodness gracious! I, I think the best argument, like if you're going to be consistent there, I think you need to be arguing for Textus Receptus, not King James onlyism. Yeah, that's fair. But and then the other one is majority te- majority text, which is the ESV is translated from the majority text, where we compile all that we have to understand and to think through exactly exactly what. Like the aim in both of these is to understand what the original authors wrote. Yeah. And so they're just two different schools of thought of how we arrive at that. Yeah. And, uh, along with that, like I think, there is there a question are we going to deal with like the question about inerrancy and stuff? No, we can do it now though. As far as, because I was thinking about I how, about I for, do you have the question pulled up? No. Or written down? It was a Jack question. Right? Yeah, no, I just didn't write it down. Uh, so there was a question that we got from. Everybody gets one a dear listener that uh said something about sorry this is awkward it, the the question was like about the whole and the oh, whole yeah why is the belief that scripture is both holy the word of god and holy w h o l l y inerrant essential couldn't there have been translating errors uh and i would sarah and i were listening to this thing that she had to listen to uh, by Vody Bakum about why I trust the Bible. Oh yeah, and I was reminded of like the fact that there are so many, uh, like fragments and like early, early, um, copies of the scriptures that help it to be trustworthy, like more than literally any other book in history. Yeah. Um, but also like trusting that like when people are translating, they're translating often and uh, most often by committee. And so there's not like, and by committee of experts from a wide range of like backgrounds and, and beliefs and stuff. And so I think that we have little to fear about the trustworthiness of translations. Yeah. Cause I think what you have in the committees and things like that is a prevention of, um, of presupposition Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're guarded from that. And on these committees, there's normally a multiplicity. There's different denominations. Yeah. You know, what you, what you want more than anything else is just strong Greek scholarship. Right. Um, and I think, and I think we have that, you know, one of the, there's probably been, I don't know, Blake, between you and me, there's probably been maybe four or five times in the entirety of the, I guess the last five years where I've said, I don't really like this translation. <laughs> yeah, which is like the scariest thing to say. But I mean, but it's not a major disagreement with, like it, it's they went with a, 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 a different 
word in the semantic range of the original word. Yes. So semantic range is like we use the word cool. Cool semantic range is it's cool in this room, meaning temperature, or hey, that's a cool shirt, meaning I like your shirt for lack of better terms, right? Yeah. So the semantic range, depending, like if we use that word and someone was reading through something we wrote in a hundred years from now and we don't use the word cool anymore, then they're going to read it and be like, I got to pick between one of these two. And then you're going to go with, okay, what's the context really lean toward here? Yeah. And so sometimes the semantic range is really minor. Right. You know, it's the difference between devoted and strive. Yeah. It's like those are really, they yeah. mean the same thing, but I think. They have different connotations. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I, I think we can say, we can say with, with relative confidence, I would say more than relative, we can say with, with great confidence that what we have, even in our translations, are accurate translations, right? Yeah, they're not a, there's not enough like, question to change the thrust of the scriptures you know what i'm saying like it's not like there's a there's a way that every like somebody translated something one way every time to create a bent yeah just because the scriptures are so vast and they're written by so many different people and all of those things yeah yeah certainly and so i think and then, then there is the like if we understand too the primary like the like normally someone a, a faithful guy who's preaching is going to spend time in the original languages. Of course. Like he may not be a master of it. I would not say I'm a master of the original languages, Me neither. not by any stretch, of, but, but I know how to use the tools and I know how to understand the masters. Right. I did stay in a holiday. Inn last yes, night. indeed. So like I spend time looking through that and there are times where I'll look at it and say, Hey, I've read, I've read four different people's understandings of this. And I think this guy has it right. I think he picked the right word that should that we should translate that, not pulling it and changing it from the original, but moving it from the original, from the Greek into the English. I think this English word seems to capture what Paul was trying to say a little bit better than, than the other. Yeah. And even then, I'm making the distinction largely not between denotation, but connotation. Sure. Yeah. So anyway, Bible translations, I think, you know, if I were to sum it up, Pick a translation that you can read and that is accurate. I mean, I think obviously, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that you, you do have you do have translations like the message is not a translation. I think there are some that are a bit too lax um, in their translation. So I wouldn't yeah. go. I would I would try not to go for a paraphrase. Or a bare minimum, I would say you need to grab a dynamic paraphrase, which is somewhere more toward word for word. Yeah. But I would I would lean. I would lean pretty close toward I want I want as close to translation as I can get while still being able to understand it. And there are resources online where you can look up like the, mm-hmm. the range, like a, almost a like chart. A, yeah, a chart close close to the originals and far away. Yes. All right. Okay, here's another one. Is it unloving to question someone's faith? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Are you asking me? Yeah. <clears throat> All right. I think biblically, uh, is Matthew 7, judge not? Yes, lest, Matthew 7, 1. So Matthew 7, you know, don't judge lest you be judged, I think is a argument that people false, f- faultily make to say that you can never judge someone by their fruit. Because, it, I mean, Jesus even says you'll know by your fruit. Like, there, we have... We have plenty of admonition to make judgments or distinctions. I think the the way where it's unloving to question someone's faith is to make an eternal judgment on their soul based off of 
a moment in their life or mm. even a season in their life. So to say, I think that's what judge not means. Like do not make an eternal estimation or judge them etern like basically in your mind, judge them eternally based off of something you see, if that makes sense. So to be like, you are not in Christ and you, you, you have never been in Christ mm. based off of like a, whatever, like a, either a, a moment or a season. I do think that it is actually loving. It can be loving to question someone's faith when you when you know them and you're saying this is the this is the testimony of your life that you are not walking in repentance that you are mm. not obeying Christ that you are outside of the local church that like any of these things I think it is actually loving to say I'm wondering spiritually where you're at yeah so it's not unloving but rather it is loving to question them in a loving way <laughs> yeah i i agree with that completely i think the spirit really matters here yeah right like what what's your intention in asking this question and what's For your sure. intention of, of examination because like every time i sit down with somebody i'm essentially asking about you know where they are in their faith which which is perhaps a more preventative form of questioning their faith right like i'm yeah. doing examination there and one of the things that i've heard don <laughs> say in the past is is like i can i can write out a bill and not hand you a receipt meaning that like i can do the work and you not see it yeah and that and and that's not a sign of of a failure that's a sign of i've I've been able to work through that. Yeah. And so like normally I'll sit down and I'll talk through something. I'll, th I'll talk through something with someone and be able to get a read on their spiritual state, be able to talk to them about, you know, various things in their life. And normally if there's a cue there, I yeah. can see it and we can go. Yeah. Um, and so I think there is a reason to examine people. I think there's a reason to even look at someone from time to time and say, Hey brother, you're not doing well. Yeah. Um, and in the midst of doing that, I think, you know, the prompt is either, um, you're not doing well and I want to laugh at you. I don't really see people do that too frequently though. No. Um, but I do see people say, Hey, are you good? With the intention <laughs> of saying, are you good? Like, can we, can we walk through this? Like what's <laughs> happening here? The intention of saying you're not good. Yeah. Let's right. Work on yeah. This yeah. Together. And so like that, that I think is a good thing. I, I think the reason and maybe even the evidence that leads us to that question is important. And also is that a normal pattern for our life? Right. Like, yeah. is it a normal pattern for my life to be able to look at someone and say, hey, can we talk about this? And if I haven't and if and if I'm doing that, perhaps in a in a rush or if I'm doing it um, flippantly, then it may not be as genuine as I think it is. Yeah. What I want to do is I want to actually care about the person's life to such a degree that, like, it's normative for me to broach those subjects with them. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I think is perhaps most important in the midst of that type of conversation and may even more so than not reveal your intention. Is it loving? If it's loving, then it's probably been a manner of life. Right. Um, you hear that, Charles? That's nuance. That he's, is nuanced. He's being nuanced. Nuanced. Because nuance is only a bad word where it's something that is not nuanceable. Right. <laughs> Like nuance is only a bad word when you want it to be. A no, bad word. because there are some things that just aren't nuanceable, right? I it's agree like, the yeah, 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 yeah. And so, like, there's a number of things that it's like we we, can, we don't we don't nuance this, and and in the same way, like when we're addressing somebody, I think you do well to to work with them through it with the intention. And going back to this, the intention is always restoration. If you follow the pattern of First Corinthians to Second Corinthians, what you're going to notice is Paul essentially questions their intentions based upon will they permit him back in. 
right. this this guy who was called out in First Corinthians. Yeah. And if they're not going to permit him back in, then it's like your intentions were not good. Yeah, that is where intentions do matter. Yeah. Because I think there is like a an excitement about calling people heretics or wrong or false teachers or watered down or whatever yeah. from afar. Yeah. And like, I do think as pastors, we are, we should be warning the saints yeah. of wolves. Certainly. But I also think that it's a lot easier to like sit over here and just be like, Oh, that's a false teacher. That's, that's a weak, that's weak theology yeah. or like whatever with not the intention of saying, let me help you and guide you, but rather just out of pride and arrogance and just being like, we have it right. They have it wrong. Yeah. You know, mark them. Do you think a them. willingness to engage? Yeah, I agree. A- like, yeah, I think if you're, if you're unwilling to engage with what they're saying, yeah, then it's probably from the wrong spirit. And if you're unwilling to engage with, like if it's someone you, you know, if yeah. you're unwilling to get in the trenches with them and say, let's work this out together, yeah. then, then you're saying it from a wrong yeah. spirit. I think that's true. Um, so, all right, this is an interesting one. And I'm curious your thoughts on this. I have a staunch opinion. Um, does God have opinions? Uh, what is an opinion? Yeah, <laughs> this isn't helpful. What's a woman? Um, like, uh, no, I think it's important. You got to define the word. What's an yeah, opinion? An opinion is, I so like, uh, so I can't get an opinion the, is a belief. An opinion, an opinion is a belief without uh, that is that is largely subjective. Yeah, God can be subjective. Come again? God's true. God, you say he can't be. Can't be okay, subjective. You, you really need to. T- God cannot be Thank subjective. You. Yeah, yeah. No, this no, is no. a helpful conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I, I don't think that I don't think that God has opinions. I don't think he can. He can. I think it is an impossibility for him to have an opinion. So we we talked about this in my house the other night. Okay. About what well, kind of about in Exodus thirty one, I think, where God quote unquote changes his mind. Okay. okay. Because Moses yeah pleads with him not to. Everything Moses was, everything God was saying to Moses, like, was possibly true. It wasn't like he had an opinion about uh, the Israelites, right? Like, he was, he was right in saying that they basically were the worst. That okay. wasn't his opinion. It was true. Yeah, facts. Uh, and so, I, I don't see how, and even in that moment, like, that's, that's like, one of the passages where they, where people would say, or people would argue that God actually does change his mind. Uh, yeah. But even then, he's not using opinion. He's actually just stating facts. So I don't see I don't see where in the scriptures we could say that God has opinions because God's opinion of you is the truth about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, if God believes that you are a saint, it's because he made you one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> You know yeah, what yeah, I yeah. mean? Like, I just don't, I, I guess I would need an example of an opinion that may not be reality. Yeah, I don't, I, but even then, I don't think that you can, I don't think there's there's a realm in which we can speak of God in in, in, in an opinion. I think anytime, anytime that we see him 
or anytime he thinks anything due to his perfections, it's not as though he's questioning whether it's reality, right? Yeah. Like he, he thinks, he knows. Opinion is this place where we live where it's like I have an opinion about a certain thing that is either true or it's not true. And at, a very, at some point or another, we're going to hit, is it true or is it not? Well, right. God's always sitting at the end of truth. Yeah, and that... <laughs> And that's the other thing is like our opinions where that you can't prove being true or not true are about things that like are are subjective that don't really matter. Such as it is my opinion that macaroni is, is the great, best. Right. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. yeah, like God actually does know whether or not like which, which macaroni is the best. Like yeah. that's petty, but he does. Like I would, objectively. I would like that information. You know, like he objectively knows. Yeah. Um, and ordained that some somebody out there has the best macaroni. Yeah, I, I want I want to know <laughs> who this is. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think we you just we, preached on prayer. Yeah, true, true. Asking um, you shall receive. Yeah the uh, the the concept of opinions in God. I think if we're to embrace that premise, then we have to we have to assume that subjectivity is a reality to him, which I just think it can't be. Yeah. And also you think about like him being affected, like yeah, we fair. say that he can't be like emotionally manipulated. Yeah. Yeah. He's impassable. A lot of our, a lot of our opinions are based off of what manipulates us emotionally. Yeah. Like, you know, like things that we think are good just because we've had a good experience and they have kind of yeah. convinced us of that. So, Yeah. So no, opinions, no opinions, no opinions God. in God. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out on that big time. No opinions in God. Um, all right, it's a good question though. It, it, it's an interesting question, but I think if we understand the perfections of God, then we must immediately throw out opinions. It's like, like one of those questions that, like, the youth group. It's like two, two a.m. and the dudes in the youth group are just chilling in the cabin at camp, and they're like, "So, does God have opinions?" Yeah, that's kind of how that feels. So, well, you brought this up. Does God change His mind? Uh, no. Yeah, and so that that's a really interesting one. I get asked that question probably more so than anything else. Like somebody will be reading through Genesis or they'll be reading through Jonah. Yeah. And as they're reading through one of those, the question is, well, did God change his mind in the midst of that? And yeah. it's and it's like when you when you see that type of language, it's like did his decree change in the midst of it? Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Sorry. When the, when the, did his decree change in the midst of the answer is no. No. Yes. Right? He's, I was saying, yeah, like I'm listening. I know, I, know, I know, but you kept saying, yeah, as if it's like, and I'm like, I can't, I no. can't do this. It's a helpful conversation. Uh-huh. And, um, but what you see is his, his decreed ordained means coming to fruition. Yes. And so like, even with, even with Jonah, Jonah is one of the most interesting ones for me because it's like God, God gave Jonah the words to go preach yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. Well, God had decreed that those words would be the ones that would bring Nineveh to its knees in repentance yeah. and that he would, and that he would withhold judgment for a hundred or so years up until the times Nahum prophesied. Yeah. And so anyway. And, and in Exodus, God isn't decreeing anything. Like when he's, when Moses allegedly changes God's mind. He's not really decreeing anything. He's saying like, to me, it seems that he is helping Moses to have faith. He's, he's revealing. Yeah. And and, you know, the the term is baby talk. Yeah. Like that people will use from time to time. Like there's a great deal of revelation in those conversations. The same thing with Abraham as he's interceding for lot. Right. It's like, what about this? What about this? What about this? And it's like, 
God knew what he was going to do in the entire the entire time, but he was given demonstration of the work of an intercessor. Yeah, well, that and and I think he's he's building love in Moses mm. for the people. Mm. Fair. Like Moses just got down off the mountain, and he's like on the you know he's like yeah he's like Take him God on. can do this yeah. ourselves, and and God's actually like developing in him. Like if he has def- to defend the people, he will love them, and he yeah. needs to love them to lead them through yeah. the wilderness. Fair. All right, here's a good one too. How does the doctrine of predestination comfort the saint? Uh, I feel really comforted knowing that nothing that comes to me is a surprise to God. Mm. And predestination is the beginning of that. Like if he can decree my salvation, then what is outside of his bounds? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, yeah. I and mean, one of one of my one of my favorite sermons you preached, Blake, is from the days that we were outside while we were renovating. Yeah, and it was on. Um, and I remember that day because I had a woman walk up to me right after the service was over. I remember that day because my iPad overheated and I just had to wing it. Hey, <laughs> I like that. Um, that's hilarious. I mean, I didn't wing it, but <laughs> yeah, but your notes were gone. They were gone. Um, and so. But right after that conversation, I had to, I, right after you finished preaching, I, um, a member pushed uh, another person who was visiting that day in to have a conversation. And uh, she grabbed me and said, I need to talk to you about what that young man just said. <laughs> and I said, I said, okay. And, and she said, well, does that mean that the Lord is using this? And she pointed to an absolutely horrendous moment in her life. Something absolutely tragic happened. Does that, are you telling, is he, is he telling me that God ordained that for good? Yeah. And I said, yes, ma'am, that is, that's exactly what he said. Which and, was funny. Cause at that same moment, I was having the same conversation with uh, the dear brother yeah. in the, what became the nursery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, in the midst of that conversation, you know, I, there was an appall to that mm. right there was like no 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 may it never be and i looked back at her and i said and i said well well what would comfort you that mm. it was random and it doesn't matter right that's what the world has exactly and so like as we're talking through it her response was well, well no of course it mattered and i'm like why <laughs> why does it matter and how can you know that it mattered how can you know that there is a good end for this because i don't think that you have an answer other than the one that he just provided you yeah. and and as you're looking at God's sovereign orchestration of all things, he's given us the, main, the, the intended end of each of them. Mm-hmm. And if we can rejoice in that intended end, which is his own glory and the good of the church, then, then I think we can take that and we can rejoice in the midst of suffering. We can hope and rejoice or rejoice in hope. Yeah, I mean, that's why, so like, I think as quick as we are to point to Romans eight twenty eight, we obviously need to remind ourselves that 29 and 30 are connected to yes, that for a absolutely. reason. absolutely. So that the fact that he is working all things out for our good starts with the fact that he decreed our good from before the foundation of the earth uh, and, and will carry it to completion. So without that, then you have chance mm. or some kind of weird look through the corridors of time. And so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you almost have to take a deistic approach. Yeah. Where he set the ball in motion, right? And there's no, yeah. he really doesn't interact with it. He wound it up and let it go. Yeah. And he's just watching to see how these things unfold. Which sounds very Ecclesiastes ish. It like, it's it, meaningless. Yeah. It's the, it's the, I think this it's the pointless. perception up until the end, right? Of honor, honor the Lord in the days of your youth. And, yeah. 
you know the I think so that so I think understanding the providence of God is is a part of understanding predestination. I think if you don't understand and uphold the doctrine of predestination, then I think you're gonna it's gonna be really difficult for you to uphold the doctrine of providence. I, I, Agreed. Yeah, I think borderline impossible. But the second part of this is for me, the doctrine of predestination and all that goes along with it is a great comfort to me in the midst of. Uh, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of my own sin, um, and in the midst of my own failings. Because, because if yeah. I don't have... So I grew up... I think I've told you this. I, I, I grew up with an understanding of, you know, God, God, doesn't, God doesn't control everything, right? And I remember having a conversation with my stepdad years ago, years ago, like I was... I don't know, 11 or 12. And I said, yeah. And so I said, I said, so does God, did God plan my salvation? And, you know, we kind of went back and forth for a little bit. And then I asked the question, well, does God plan the, the, the salvation of those who will be his ministers? And it was interesting (laughs) to me how the conversation shifted because it was like, oh, well, yeah, probably so. And it was interesting to me that we worked through degrees there. Yeah. But the reality is that God has planned and executed on that plan for every every one of those whom he has elected from before the world began. And so it's hard for me to find a better place to rest my head than knowing that before the foundation of the world, before I had done either good or bad, he elected me unto salvation. And then even in the midst of me being elected unto salvation, it was while I was yet a sinner that Christ died for me. And so like, while you see this big picture of, of the, the perfect plan of redemption being executed and you're able to look past, you know, Genesis one, one, and you're able to go all the way back into eternity past. It's hard for me to find better ground to rest upon than he has loved me for, I mean, we would, we would have to say since eternity past and he hasn't changed his mind as of yet. Right. And it's like, and, and, and he doesn't do that. Like what he set his affection on, he will bring to completion. And so, there's so many, so many reasons that we would have great confidence in the doctrine of predestination. The one thing that I'd add on this, just because I can't help it, is the comfort I have in the doctrine of definite atonement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is, there is no doctrine that comforts me more like definite atonement. And, I, and it was one that I wrestled with the most. And then after, you know, it's kind of like it's become my darling of theology at this point where, you know, when I think about the concept of, of definite atonement, I'm thinking through the unique love that Christ had for his, has for his sheep, for his church, for his body. And as you look at the language there, there's just this intentionality and unique care given to them mm-hmm. where he would lay down his life for his sheep, as John 10 says. And so, um, you know, understanding that Jesus did not die, you know, like the satisfaction theory where he satisfied the wrath of God for all sin, yeah. but instead he substituted himself for a particular people. It's just, it's just hard for me to find like that level of confidence to know that Jesus died for me like that. Like I, if we understand definite atonement appropriately, we, we're above any other theological system can say Jesus died for me. Yeah. And like, so Hank and I were discussing this yesterday. So our text for this week's sermon is uh, care for the needs of the saints. 
and we were talking about why why it matters that it's the needs of the saints and not mm. why why didn't Paul just save the needs of everyone? Mm. And we we're talking about how definite atonement leads us to like if Christ died for his bride, we have a specific love for his bride. Mm. Uh, not that we don't love the world too, but we have a specific love for his bride. Yeah. Uh, and we we hold up the needs of our of the saints first. Uh, yeah, super helpful. Yeah, and I think helpful, he, super helpful. Helpful, yes. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, and that that does lead to the final thing of preservation of the saints. If um, if we understand, if we understand the all of what we just spoke of. I think the conclusion is that what he began, he will complete. And there's no, there's no reason nor ground for us to assume that he will be faithless. And I think that's where the real issue of uh, perseverance or preservation of the saints, I think both are helpful terms, by the way. Um, But when we think about that, understanding first and foremost, for God to lose me, he must be faithless. Yeah. Like the beauty of the gospel is it rests itself on the unchangeable nature of God. Yeah. And the, and the moment that he gives people away, when he fails to protect one sheep, when he, when he fails to bring, you know, one member of the church home, then it's, it's, it's a stake of his own reputation. You go back to, to Exodus, for instance, and the, and the whole thing, one of the, going back to one of the things that Moses said to, said to God in that conversation, is like, they're just going to say that you brought them out here to kill them. Right. And it's like <clears throat> his namesake is stamped on them. You know, Psalm 23 that blessed psalm that we hear read of read so frequently a lot of the times we overmiss the fact that he leads us beside streams of water and causes us to lay down in fields like the the primary point of that is it's for his name's sake that he does that yeah and there's just a great confidence when i understand that the salvation that god has provided for me through these means has essentially made god the one whose reputation is on the line yeah and like He's he's not gonna he's not gonna allow his name to be sullied. He loves his glory. Yeah, indeed. And then jealousy becomes one of the greatest comforts on the planet. Yeah. Like I'm, you know, my jealousy is given to protect, right? Like if if my jealousy, like I have jealousy, right, for Beth, and it's like my jealousy is a protective agent. Yeah. And so it is with God. It just to an an infinite degree. Mm. I could talk about that one for a while. Mm-hmm. Um. But those are those are some. That's that's a good question. Um, all right. Thanks. Thanks for asking that. Um, all right. So, will the dominion of the church wane, or will it grow? I was telling somebody today at lunch that I have a militancy about me, and it's like there's 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 things that I want to watch happen, like literally in Desoto County. And it's this theology that that has driven me to this place. Anyway, go ahead. No, you go. No, you go. Charles, you want to go? I just want to like think about. I, I. What do you mean by dominion? Is the dominion is the? I'll let, let's. Mm, yeah, is the dominion of the church? Is the church on the march in the sense that it is advancing, or is it being? beaten back i will let me let me let me add a caveat here because i'm not going to misrepresent somebody right the individuals who would say it's likely that it will be beaten back do not assume that the church will fail they still uphold the reality that the church the gates of hell will not prevail against her right they still hold to the church victorious 
yeah. um, or church triumphant. But do you think that we're moving forward or we're moving back? Or I'll add, I'll add a third one. Or that it seems to wax and wane throughout history. Um, I mean, I think obviously, not, I shouldn't say obviously, I'm sorry, there are differences of opinions. I think we are moving forward, but I do think that part of our moving forward, this may not be waxing and waning, but part of our moving forward is that we are beaten back and the gospel goes forth as we are. Mm. So mm. I, I don't know if beaten back is... It's not to say that, it's not to say that the church will not suffer. It's saying that the church yeah. will not suffer loss. Sure. Like yeah. true loss. Yeah. And I think that we are, we are moving forward. I just think that you have to define militancy and taking dominion, which may deal with some other questions that we're, that we've been asked to, you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. just think about like, you, you've always spoken of it as when you think about militancy is that it's a, I forget how you phrase it, but like, it's like a, a conquest of love or conquest of life. life. Yeah. And so like in our militancy, we are taking the gospel, which feels weird to say militancy with that. Right. For me, it does. Fair. Just because. Anyway. For me, it flows nicely. Yeah. But like this may just be different connotations we Fair. have with militant. Yeah. Um, and so when I think about like the church moving forward, yes, it is it is moving forward militantly in a conquest of life and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I I struggle with where that where that coincides with post mill because I don't think that the world is getting better per se. Yes. So this so is So that's where, where I struggle in my That's super fair. So post mill Postmill would would argue, and if you are postmill and you're listening to this, and I am wrong, feel free to email me, and I will be more than happy to correct my statement. Lost and but the issue is postmill. Postmill, like the majority of eschatologies, has various viewpoints. Right? I mean, nuances. Um, <laughs> but so, all that to say that postmill is essentially going to say that the the world will continue to be Christianized like indefinitely, right? And we're going to, and if I'm not mistaken here, that this is essentially the means by which God will usher in the kingdom, right? So, and 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 I think, and again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it does not recognize that there is a distinction. Like it is a, it is a taking over of the world in Toda. Um, And once again, please feel free to email me and correct me there. I'd be more than happy to hear you out. Um, But my perspective, my perspective is, that yes, the church is both uh, militant and triumphant. And so what I mean by that is the church will continue its conquest of life, meaning that it will go forth, it will preach the gospel, sinners will be saved. And I think that we will see that in various degrees throughout redemptive history. Um, So for instance, like we might look at America right now and say Christianity seems to be waning, but there would be a multiplicity of other places, continents, countries in the world that there is a great growth of Christianity explosions even. And so I would say that what's taking place and what, what has continued to take place throughout redemptive history is that there is that there is a spreading abroad of Christianity, that there is um, the gospel being preached, sinners being saved, and in the midst of that, God is God is growing a triumphant church, and that church will be triumphant in the end. The one thing that I don't like, and this is 
this is the negative. This is the pessimistic amillennialism, which is like um, the the church will wane and wane and wane, and that many will be will be faithless. And it's like I think there will be obviously tears inside of inside of churches. Period. Yeah. Um, and but but I think that what you're going to find is a church pure a church uh, continuing to grow in both number and holiness up until the end of the age. And, and if there, and this may be where my optimism comes out, I will, I will have zero surprise. I do not expect to be here for it. Right. But, but I will have zero surprise that if the, at the end of the age, there are more Christians then than there are now. I would, I would assume as much. Um, I would assume that, um, I would assume that a hundred years from now, whether, whether the Lord returns or not. And I would assume it, you know, 200 years from now, even more so. So that's that when I think of militancy, I'm saying that I believe that the church will continue to grow, continue to flourish. And I also think that in the midst of that, you'll see false doctrines that continue to come. I think you'll still watch them die. I don't think they'll overtake the church. They might have sway for moments, but they're not going to last. Yeah. I think the temptation to think that the church is waning is probably a, is too small of a view of the church. It's like a view of the Western church. Uh, absolutely like absolutely. you can look at the western church and say yeah i mean it's getting smaller but like it's not the church yeah know? yeah absolutely and and you know in the midst of it being smaller i think we have to also say and maybe this is my uh, the it's question pruned yeah the question i have is is it getting smaller yeah are we um, just seeing the yeah. reality of what it is yeah, yeah that's right. um because you know, there's so many arguments right now, especially inside like the Southern Baptist Convention, that our baptisms are down, our memberships down. I'm like, ah, <laughs> if the baptisms that we were reporting, you know, 20 years ago were real, if we got less like fire truck baptisms, true and, story, and slip and slide, slip and slide baptisms, then I'm down, <sighs> down, down. Slip and slides are really fun, though. Side note, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, we I can kind of do one like down the aisle Stop. into our All trough. Right. All right. So I knew a guy, this is just super side note. I knew a guy who, uh, grown man, like in his forties and he was a, he was like a camp guy. Like he yeah. ran a camp. Oh yeah. And my uh, dream, huh? My dream. Yeah. And so he was doing a slip and slide, hey, took yeah. off running full jump and broke three ribs and punctured his lung on the slip and slide. Did he die? No, he didn't die. But he, I mean, he had to be rushed to the emergency room. Golly. Like, isn't that crazy? Like, so all of a sudden it's like, if I, when I slip and slide, if you ever watch me slip and slide, which would be an interesting, like how we got here, but, um, but just know that I'm going to very gently walk up to it. Guys, like I slept wrong last night and my chest is hurt all day. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Like, I think slip and slides out of the question for me. <laughs> ben made fun of me the other day because I got up off the couch and when I got up off the couch, I was like, ugh. <laughs> it's like, we're becoming our parents. I know, I know, right? Um, that's what the, what's the, what's the, the, the Geico commercial. Did we talk about this last week? Yeah. Or is it progressive? The live, la- progressive, the live, laugh, love. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, you don't need this. Just do it. You don't have to tell him what to do. He's here performing a service for you. <laughs> that's the plumber. I'm so bad about that. I, I watch people who come to my house to, to work. What are you supposed to do when people come no, work no, in your house? Because I will either like pretend like I'm busy. I'll just like carry the same thing to like seven different rooms. 
Or I'll just like sit there and make small talk. I make them. friends. Yeah, I make friends and I and I try to learn. So that's like fair. because so the I don't issue have to is, call you again. Yeah, Charles can't come to my house and fix everything that's wrong with it at that's any right. given moment. That's right. Like the last He's a busy so, man. So I haven't told Beth this yet. The last time he was and, and Beth won't know it now because she doesn't listen to the podcast. Um <laughs> but the last time he was over at my house, um, I told him that my sink was leaking. And like three seconds later, he's like, oh, it's no problem here. It's fixed. What a man. Just fixed. What a man. Because he's here and we're, we're complimenting. All right. So church militant. That's where I am. I like the word militant. I, I will continue to use the I word militant. I think you got to be nuanced. With I'm not being nuanced with militancy. Militant. Church is militant. Militant <laughs> and triumphant. Um, so. All right. We got we got three more. We got one that we can probably do quickly. Entertainment. This is so. So I think that this one is a question. For, let's place this theologically. I think this places either right in discussion, or it can it can go quickly up to uh, to doctrine. doctrine. Yeah. Yes. So um, I know people who would say video games in and of themselves are sinful. I I would hard disagree with that. Yes. I um, agree with you. But I also know people who would say it's perfectly okay for me to play Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, like I I, I don't I don't even th- that, that's not nuanceable. There's some things that are just impermit it's not. I, I don't think it is. I really don't because I think the content actually does matter here. It's a glorification of sin. Absolutely, it is. And so, like, I think there are some things that, and, I, and I'm not, I'm not getting into various types of movies or various types of content, but I'm saying that there are some things that are just not permissible for the Christian to be entertained by. What's the quote uh, about like enjoying things that Jesus died to? I don't know, but, but the verse that comes to my mind is Romans 1, where it says, and they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Yeah. And that's, and that's, what, that's what gets me. And so, oh, and I'll tell you, I've, I've, I've grown in this area in the last probably two, to, two or three years. Um, and I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's children. Like yeah, I think re- probably revealing. Like, but but, there's, but there's a, there, was a, there was a revealing to me of things that I was watching that I, that, you know, I would have not thought twice about. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting there with my, with my baby who doesn't understand anything. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. Right. Like I'm trying to cover it. And I'm like, no, no, no. Why am I watching this? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of it is conscience, but with any conscience issue, there's a line you have. Well, I'm just going to say you have to be willing to limit your Liberty for your brothers and sisters. Fair. So that could mean not watching something that you feel free to watch out of care for your brother and sister or whatever it is, play and joy. I do think that there's definitely a line when it is something that very clearly glorifies sin and, and hinders you from setting your mind on beautiful things. I think that's really helpful. I also think the quantity of entertainment. Yeah, we can get on that too. So is it making you slothful? Yeah, so I've got I've got two illustrations. One, um when I was in seminary, I don't know if I've told the story on this podcast, but when I was in seminary, I was sitting around uh this was like my second or third time at this guy's house and um they turn on Game of Thrones. 
I have never heard of Game of Thrones at this point. I had no clue what I'm getting myself into, right? You thought it was like a Christian program. No, no, but I was like, but I was like, dragons, fan, like, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, this is like my video yeah, games. Yeah. So, um, and is this so, a like, Skyrim show. I, and, the, and, and mind you, this is, this is my, like, I'm, these are people that I sit in seminary with, right? Yeah. And, uh, so we, we turn it on and it's probably like, I don't know, 10 seconds in before highly inappropriate stuff comes on TV. I'm like, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, like, red flags, red flags. And, and I get a response from somebody. They called you a Pharisee. So, but something of that nature. Yeah. I mean, like, why? Why is this bothering you? It's fine. Right. Don't you have liberty? I'm like, yeah, I have liberty, but I don't. Christ? But I don't. Like, I don't want this. Yeah. Right. Like, and and I don't want this in my head. I like that stuff affects me. And I think one of the things that we don't do well when it comes to entertainment is admitting that it affects us. Yeah. I used to make this argument with alcohol to my college roommates because I was like trying to be it. I was trying to be their conscience and i'll be like it's fine for you guys but like maybe there's one guy who like he can drink with you guys and then he he can't stop yeah he drinks all night yeah but i really do think that's a real argument for like that's a real argument for a lot of what stuff. you do in public yeah is like by doing something in public you're endorsing it mm. in 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 some sense yeah right yeah. like and so endorsing it could really hurt a weaker brother yeah who can't handle that yeah and yeah. so I, I just think there's like wisdom in like obviously there are things that like some people can watch on their own or in the privacy of their own home yeah that might be fine for them and their conscience but that would really wound someone else fair and so you have to be careful i mean that's yeah. an example of that yeah yeah i, I think so i you know I just I, I think that we need to have a fine line on on the in, in entertainment I think that there is a line that you just cross right yeah and and I and it's it, and I would say this the line isn't pornography right it's it's like I, I think the line could be pornography in the actual understanding of like pornia yeah yeah but I'm saying I, yeah oh for sure right yeah. so that word by the way pornography comes from the Greek word pornea which essentially means any type of sexual immorality yeah and so yeah. I think in the broad sense yes that yes. is a line <laughs> yeah but I'm saying like it's probably before that yeah I'm saying the line probably is before, a lot of times we play this game with entertainment like how much can I get away with and yeah, I think it's a don't really toe the line yeah I think it's a bad question to yeah, ask agreed. I think the best question to ask is can I do this in a godly way yeah and if the answer is no yeah then I think you've, you've got your answer and, and time is the other one one of the things that I notice about my own life in regards to entertainment if I give myself too much entertainment first of all you're numbing yourself nine times out of ten um, <laughs> yeah what are you not dealing yeah with? <laughs> what are you not dealing with and then secondly that stuff like what you put in does affect you and so like if you put in a massive amount of amount of junk into your life don't expect to outflow love yeah like uh What's John Piper say about uh, prayerlessness? Like Facebook and Twitter will be like a testimony mm. at the end of the age that it wasn't that we were too busy to pray or something. Oh, yeah. yeah and I yeah. do think like that kind of a numbing ourselves with entertainment does lead to prayerlessness. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, just like laxness. I also think that you can be, sorry, this is one that I think that we, we need to maybe recategorize. I think that you can be entertained by spiritual things. They should thrill you. Facing the Giants. 
Stop. That's not what I meant. Fireproof. Stop. That's not what I meant. But I'm saying like <laughs> war room. But like a lot of times we speak of entertainment. We speak of things that are Joseph that are King enjoyable. And it's like I'm telling like there are some of the greatest joys I have are like so this week right I'm not preaching. Yeah. Blake's preaching That's this week. That's your greatest joy. And so no. You know, I love to preach. Um, but one of my, like today I sat down, I worked through, um, I worked through Proverbs, I worked through Psalms, and I worked through First uh, Thessalonians. And I'm like, I, I genuinely enjoyed that. Like I had a great time. It's like discipline's one Agreed. of those things. It's like I have to do something I don't want to do. And I think we would do well to think about Bible reading more as a, a, a privilege and a joy as opposed to a discipline. Yeah, and also entertaining ourselves with fellowship with the believers absolutely filling our time with i was just thinking like a lot lately about how much rather spend an hour and a half or two hours in my living room with five other people from our church than like watching a show yeah by myself or with with even with those same people yeah that's why I don't go to movies because I'm like <laughs> I can't talk. They like get mad at you if you talk. True story. <laughs> you they did do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. There's a um, there's a Discord server which is like sorry nerd thing. Discord server is a is a computer program where you go into like a chat room with a number of people. There's a chat room that I'm in. We did this during COVID so we could have a young adult fellowship. True story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but. But in the, but I go in there and we you know we've talked about everything from theology proper to ecclesiology to and I'm in there with like a Presbyterian a Dutch guy um, a, a, a landmarkist like IFB Dutch. Baptist no like Dutch Reformed yeah. and uh, and and I, we've had some of, some of the best conversations around in the midst of those and they've been really helpful to me and I that's like I that's look legit. forward to those conversations because yeah. they're honing. Um, and because in the midst of those, we can we can also in the midst of our disagreement rejoice in some some centerpiece dogmatics that we all hold to. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I, I think some of our understanding of entertainment needs to be refined, and we should be entertained <coughs> using that term more as thrilled by as opposed to like amused. We should be entertained. We should be overjoyed with. Christian fellowship with Bible reading with prayer like there's a joy in those things it's like Lewis once said right it's not that our desires are too strong it's that they're too weak yeah um, too easily satisfied and entertainment isn't bad no like we're no. not telling you to throw away your TV or not necessarily not necessarily I mean but if it's some a, of you might have yeah, to some, yeah might need absolutely. to absolutely yeah and so um, alright we have two more I don't care. I'm doing it. What else are we going to do? Um, we started I got now. To do. I got a sermon to write, you know, some, somebody at this table. <laughs> Just you stop it. <laughs> All right. Preterist and hyper preterism. That was full preterism. Is that the same thing? Well, hyper, I'm being derogatory intentionally. Oh God. Um, that's where we are. So, uh, a, a member asked about Saucy this. Saucy Lossy's back. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's big back right now. Um, so big back. I'll change my Twitter tag to Orange Fury. Um, so uh, preterism and hyperpreterism or partial preterism and hyperpreterism. So preterism is, if you listen to my sermon on Romans 11, 
it took a partial preterist That's view. Partial preterism. Partial preterism. Partial preterism is the belief that a lot of the Olivet discourse occurred um, or was executed at the destruction of the temple AD seventy. Yep. Um, I think a great deal. Uh, was actually executed at AD 70. Now, a lot of the things that we look at, some futurist would look at and say, oh, no, that's to come. I think it probably happened in AD 70. I think the judgment against the rebellious people and the covenant breakers, uh, that is the the Israelites who, who rejected Christ, I think that judgment fell upon them at AD 70. And that's why I think that the partial hardening that I mentioned in Romans 11, as I was looking through that, uh, fell off after that AD 70. Um, and so, but but that's that's one perspective of of a partial preterist. A a full preterist believes that um, that was the return of Christ. That was Christ dealing with sin and death in total. That this all happened in eighty seventy, and um, and that the bodily resurrection that's mentioned has occurred, but it occurred spiritually. And essentially, this means that there is no bodily resurrection. Uh, it is simply a spiritual resurrection. Um, it also means that sin has already been dealt with. Um, just in case y'all wanted to know, I know that nobody who's rational would believe that. Um, <laughs> oh I'm sorry, but this is really where I am in it because you look at, because you look around at the world and you're like, oh yeah, sin is clearly dealt with. Well, I can have a conversation with anybody any day of the week and they'll tell me that sin is not dealt with. A pagan understands that the world is not how it should be. Um, and furthermore, that the resurrection has already occurred and that death has already been made Jesus's footstool to such a degree that that we are essentially living in. This is the one that threw me completely over the edge. Since AD 70, we are living right now in the new heavens and new earth. Yeah, that's weird. Um, just, just for the sake of um, not being... Um, not misrepresenting, I'll read you the perspective of someone who is a um, who is a full preterist. This is this is what um, was said. The coming of Christ in judgment was fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem in AD seventy. Satan and the Antichrist have already been thrown into the lake of fire. The kingdom of God has arrived. The resurrection is understood in spiritual terms. The great commission has already been fulfilled. All things have been made new. The old heavens and earth have passed away. The new heavens and earth have come. That means that we are currently living in them. The promised restoration has arrived, and the world now continues as it is ad infinitum, meaning that it's going to continue as it is for eternity. Like, it's just going to press on. This is the norm. And so basically what this means is that we are currently living in the new heavens and new earth, which I think from anybody who is paying attention can understand that sin has not been dealt with in full. Right. Because its presence at bare minimum is still here. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know about y'all, but I deal with that on the reg. Right? I deal with sin. And then secondly, that death has been dealt with as well, that now we look forward to, like now death and, or after our death, it's so weird, I'm speaking of death as if it's defeated, but it's not, right? That death is now leading directly into a spiritual resurrection, which we affirm that there is an intermediate state between bodily death and bodily resurrection, but they deny bodily resurrection altogether. There is no bodily resurrection, um, and sin has truly been dealt with in full. I, you know, like some things are just like I. So let's 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 talk through a couple of passages. 
The first one I want to talk through is uh, Romans 8. Um, and the reason I want to talk through Romans 8 is because there is a very clear statement in Romans 8. There's there's a contrast even between um, between our present adoption and our future adoption. And the way that it speaks of a future adoption, and, and the way they get around this, by the way, is by saying that the bodily resurrection isn't a bodily resurrection. It's a spiritual resurrection. So they make the word bodily not a physical thing, but a spiritual thing, which is pretty difficult to do considering the fact that body is quite physical. Right. So one of the key, one of the key texts that I, I think is just really helpful here is the concept of, of a adoption and then a future adoption. Now they'll deny a near and not yet mentality or, or a here and future mentality. But this is what, this is what Romans eight says, right? So it says in verse 14 of Romans eight, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba father. So we have received, have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba father. This means that we have received adoption. So 16 goes on, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Okay, so we say yes and amen to that. We also understand that that is not the completion of our adoption, right? So here it's making reference to the fact that we have been spiritually adopted. Yes. Okay, jumping down to verse 23, and this is making reference to the creation itself is groaning, which I don't understand why the creation itself is groaning if the new heavens and new earth have been ushered in. Now, to be fair, they would argue that this was written before AD 70, to which I affirm that all of the, the creation would essentially cease its groaning at AD 70. That just doesn't make sense. Because sin is still present, right? Yeah, and like the creation is groaning. Like, yeah, look like at it. Yeah, and so much of this, like I hate to be the guy that's saying look around, but I think at some point we just need to be willing to look at people and say, hey brother, like just just look around. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm confused about like why, I'm really not trying to be rude. Yeah. Like, why do people believe this? Um, they believe it because they would argue that a, a, they would say that it is a consistent preterism. So they're just trying to basically fit the Olivet Discourse into some system. But not just the Olivet Discourse, the entirety of Revelation as well. Right. But yeah, that's where I'm just confused about. Honest, like just to be totally honest. No, no, no. I, I, I'm a full, like full disclosure. This is a. I'm not trying to be a jerk. No, no, no. This is. <laughs> This is a major issue for me because it's like I, I, you know, I, I hate when I hold to a position and then there's a hyper position, but that's pretty much every position that exists. Um, but anyway, like the the perspective is they're going to run this theme the whole way through, and because of that, th- this is where they land, and they have to. Like I will say this, I appreciate the fact that they're going that they're aiming for consistency, but I think they're being inconsistent in their aim for consistency. Right. They're reading Revelation and they're demanding that everything in there has has already come to pass. Now yeah. I would I would affirm that some of it has. Yeah. But I'm not saying that all of it has. Yeah. The bodily resurrection has not occurred. And the only way they can get around those passages is by saying there really is no bodily resurrection. Yeah, it's scary. Which we're going to come back to that because I think this has to do with the cross. But here's here's a text, right? So Romans 8, 20. 
for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of it, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation is, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. By the way, pains of childbirth until now assumes that there will be something coming. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits of the Spirit here, by the way, I would argue is this spirit of adoption that's made reference to in verse 14 through 17. But we groan inwardly because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. And what's the qualifier of that, right? Because we've already been adopted. Like we possess adoption. I would say the first fruits of the Spirit is our crying of Abba, Father, what is the crying of Abba Father? What is, the, what is the longing that comes on the other side of that? The redemption of our bodies. Mm. And so here's the deal. They're going to look at this and say, well, this is spiritual. Well, my problem with that is we've already, he's already addressed the spiritual. Yeah. He's addressed the spiritual in the fact that we have been adopted in the spirit and that we will be adopted in the body. It's not as though Paul is looking at this and using you know, a linguistic flourish. Right. Paul is being precise and saying, you have experienced redemption and adoption in the spirit. And we look forward to that full adoption being made like Christ being glorified. And that's what we long for. Yeah. And so I just, I, I, there, there's a number of other passages. I think John five, John six is helpful here as well, because he tells us that all that, all that the father gives me will come to me and he will raise him up on the last day that there actually is a last day that will come. And on that day, then that day of glory and that day of dread that both the old Testament and the new Testament prophesies about that end will come. Yeah. And when it comes, that will be the moment of bodily resurrection. And so I think you have a, a whole lot of issues here, but let me tell you my, the one that this, the one that sets me off. Are you, do you have something? No. Okay. Um, the one that sets me off is sin and death are never dealt with. Yeah they, yeah, they can't be. And if sin and death are never dealt with, I'm just going to, we have a very, 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 very weak gospel and subsequently Christ. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Like when he says he's come to deal with sin, did he? Yeah. Because when I, when I, when, when I hear of conquering kings, like I think of even... <laughs> The, the, the cities that were devoted to destruction, what was his command? Wipe them out. Yeah. And, and it's hard, I'm hard-pressed to assume that Christ's coming was to come and to deal with sin and be like, ah, but we'll leave it. That's insanity to me. Yeah. And then, and then death, the, the, the Christian will perpetually live awaiting a physical death. That's not what we see promised. Mm-hmm. We see life and life eternal. Now, yeah. I affirm that those who have been born again experience eternal life now. Yeah. Right? But there is a future where we look forward to eternal life in the body. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for, for, us to, for us to argue otherwise, I think is to undermine the intention of Christ and his purposes of redemption. It was not to save a piece of the man. Yeah. It was to save the whole man. Yeah. And if we're, if we're thinking through this, I mean, I even would have to say that if we understand salvation in this way, then I, I, I don't understand why we needed Christ to be incarnate. Mm. Yeah. Because if his purpose isn't to redeem the body as well, then all he needed was a, was a human spirit. Yeah. Right. Um. But we see that he, he has come in the body for the sake of redeeming the whole man. 
Um, and the last thing that I would maybe argue for in the midst of this is the resurrection of the body that's mentioned in First Corinthians fifteen. Um, this this verse in uh, in verse forty eight. Uh, we'll do forty six. Um, and, and this this may be a, a, an argument that they would make. But it says, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, right? So we would say the first man is the man of dust. We're speaking of Adam there. The second man is the man of heaven. We're speaking of Christ. And so he says this, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, meaning that we have borne the image of Adam, so we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. And the question becomes, is Christ then resurrected bodily? Yes. If he's resurrected bodily, and I understand verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, meaning that I bore the image of Adam, right? Still, still do to some degree. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I must say that this is an empty promise. Yeah. <laughs> because there is no I don't get a body. It's just like semantics. Right. And so. Feel which, good. Exactly. And what you have is a translation from perishable to imperishable. So it says in verse 53, because it says we cannot inherit the kingdom of God like flesh and blood can't. Yeah. But it says in verse 53, for the perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. It's, and then it goes, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and mortal puts on immortality. The concept there is there is a translation. There is a changing of perishable to imperishable, of mortal to immortality. Just as we bore the image of the man of the earth, the dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. And that man of heaven is imperishable and immortal. Yeah. And that's what we're promised. Yeah. And so I just, I just don't see how we can ever look at it full preterism that denies a bodily resurrection. It denies that Christ, uh, well, it, they would, let me rephrase, they would, they would not deny that. They would say, but it's spiritual, which is ultimately a denial of bodily resurrection. <laughs> and they would say, but yeah, Christ came to deal with sin and death, but and it's been dealt with. Well, we say, why do I see so much sin and death? <laughs> right? And it's like, this is the new heavens and the new earth. And it's like, well, why is the new heavens and new earth just like the old Look one? Like the old one. <laughs> um, and and you know there's there's a there comes a certain point where it's just like we're we're arguing these things, and I, you know some of it's just like, at what point is this just suppressing the truth and unrighteousness? Mm. Yeah, because I mean it's just like literally creation is shouting this, it's groaning, or and, is it just exalting a system over the scriptures? Yeah, perhaps, perhaps it is, and yeah, I mean that would make sense. goodness yeah you're welcome cameron yeah i mean cameron and i talked a good bit about it and i think i mean it was i'll be i haven't worked through full preterism because i just haven't had to <laughs> right i mean i but yeah um and i and i and i went looking for a lot of resources i was trying to find writings from preterist like from full preterist and so yeah. but that that one sent me on one like if, <laughs> if this i told i told cameron i said if this is the new heavens and new earth i'm done preaching yeah like I just I, lame. Yeah, I'm, I'm, this is this is a frail imitation of what I see promised. This ain't it. Um, I mean, goodness, we've spoken on this podcast that if eternal life is living here forever, we're out. Like it's I don't not want eternal that. life. Yeah, I don't want that. Um, and so anyway, oh, we have one more. What is it? I think we can do it fast. All right. <laughs> All right. 
threefold distinction of the law. <laughs> I think we can do it fast. <laughs> and the and the significance of the commandments to the Christian. <laughs> All right. All right. So here's where here's where I think I can do it fast. All right, do it All fast. Right. Number one. There is a distinction. <laughs> I'm sitting here presupposing. I'm just going to leave it alone. Right. <clears throat> but I, I think the heart of the question was actually not so much the threefold division. I think the heart of the question, because I, I condensed it, but I think the heart of the question is how do the, um, or how does the, how does the Christian then approach uh, the Ten Commandments? Which is a fair question. I think that's a good question. Yes. And so the question is, are they irrelevant? Right. right. To which I would say, no, of course not. They're relevant. But how do we approach them? Yes. And there's a really beautiful phrase in the first London Confession. Yeah. Say um, what that, is it? that says, we do not approach uh, the law of Moses like they like was once. Oh, goodness. I want to read it. But um, but the basic gist is that there's a distinction in how we approach them from those who would approach them apart from um, apart from salvation provided in Christ, to which I hard agree. So like the, the way the illustration that I've always used is uh, I'm reading through the Pilgrim's Progress again because it's that time. And as I'm reading through it, I just finished the conversation that, uh, that Christian had with worldly wise men. He was just corrected by evangelist. And that as he's making his way up Sinai, as he's waking up, making his way up morality, there's thunderings, there's lightnings, there's this cliff hanging over him. He's expressing great deal of fear and rightly so, because yep. there's great threatenings in God those, in the, yeah, absolutely. In those commandments. And so I would argue that as Christian would have watched his, his burden roll away. Yeah that he would look back on Sinai and not see its threatenings because its threatenings have been satisfied, right? Yeah. Christ, Christ bore the curse. Yeah. And so that we would look back on them and we would call them a teacher. Yeah. Like, I think we can approach them and say, this is, this is helpful for our understanding of how we can conduct ourselves and live a godly life. But the confession says it this way, and I think it's helpful. Though we do not now, uh, sorry, though we be not now sent to the law as it was in the hand of Moses to be commanded thereby, yet Christ in his gospel teacheth, teacheth and commandeth us to walk in the same way of righteousness and holiness that God by Moses did command the Israelites to walk in. And so the basic thought is we, we still approach it. We approach it, but we don't approach it in the very same way, right? I don't approach the law as as uh, this, is the, this is the end of the law for righteousness, right? Yes. I approach it understanding that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, and I approach it as a student. Yeah. Um, I approach it as one who is desiring to learn, and I, and I approach it also as one who wants to obey. Yeah. And so um, I think that's a really helpful way to think through it. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. When, I, when I'm sitting at the cross and I'm looking back on the Ten Commandments, I don't, I don't hear it shouting, right? I don't hear its booming voice. I hear, I hear a teacher. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you think about what always helped me with this conversation was the fact that God's character hasn't changed. Indeed. So, like, why is it wrong to lie? It's because he's truth, mm-hmm. you know? And like, yeah. why is it wrong to covet? It's because he has sovereignly provided what we have. And, like, all of those things, like, we see in the law the character of God. Yeah. And if we love God, we obviously want to do things in line with his character. Yeah. So, yeah. For sure. All right. That was the last one. I mean, there's plenty more, but we just couldn't hit them all. I, I think, mean, I feel like John's question goes along with that. 
and you could probably easily what's the law of sin and death in Romans eight two. Yeah, I, you know, I was actually look, trying to find. We have my, some sermons on that. I was John. trying to find my sermon notes on that, and so I think I might just point you to that and save yeah. us a minute. Go, um, listen, go listen to the sermon, John. How about this? We'll we'll tag we'll tag the sermon. No, we won't. <laughs> just I'm sorry, we won't do that. Um, we'll, <laughs> John. Tag, I'll, I'll try will, to tag it. John. I will send you the I'll sermon, and we'll call it, it a day that way. All right. Um, in conclusion, Lawson just read a bunch of Bible verses. In conclusion, I did read a bunch of Bible verses, but in conclusion. We will conclude, if I can turn the pages um, quickly enough, um, to, you know what? I'm just going to read what I want. Read All what right. you want, dude. So uh, this is... It's your world. We're just living First in Peter, the new heavens and... Oh, sorry. Uh, this <laughs> is First Peter uh, chapter 1, mm. not, not true, chapter 2, mm. verse 9. Mm. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I'd like to thank my fellow uh, overseer, Lawson Harlow, <laughs> for the time spent today. Don't forget, don't be a full preterist. My brother <laughs> and my friend, Godspeed. Godspeed. In honor of Don not being here, what's your favorite thing about Don? It's got to be his bald head. Mine would be like his children. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For real though, Noel brought brought Beth and I uh, dinner from Bon Chiba the other day. Just like I, I I literally, I said, I said, no, why are you, why are you bringing us dinner? She's like, I just wanted to. I appreciate y'all. And I was like. I just double honor. I just love you so much. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She's one of my favorites. She's sweet. Um, my favorite thing about Don. And not only that, she got them to custom make me my favorite order because it's on it's a special. Wow. I know. Special. It's a macaroni and cheese pizza. No (laughs) What? (laughs) You're a child. No, it's really good. It's really good. Noel, if you're listening to this. Get Chad get Chad to make you one. I really like that uh, pizza with the beef on it. Whatever it is. I don't know what that is. Or maybe it's a salad with beef on it. <laughs> and you know where I live.